You're listening to In My Father's House with our pastor and teacher, Mike Fenizio, Senior Pastor of Harvest Christian Fellowship in New York City, New York. In my Father's house, there's a place for me. In my Father's house, where I long to be, oh, my heart will not be troubled. I remember what you said. Aren't we glad that we know how this whole thing plays out, right? You know, these are fearful times that we're reading about here in the book of Revelation. But I want to once again remind you that if you're a member in good standing of God's church, you're not going to be here during this time. You're going to be in heaven. You're going to be standing before the throne, worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The book of Revelation makes people uncomfortable. The events and environment it describes aren't family-friendly. In fact, if they were accurately depicted in a film, it would need at least an R rating. For many of us, we may feel a sense of fear as we study its prophecies. But as Pastor Mike will remind us in today's message, if you are in Christ, you can take comfort. He won't allow his beloved followers to suffer through the terror and destruction that will reign during the time that Satan is let loose. Now here's Pastor Mike in the book of Revelation chapter 13 as he begins his message, The Trinity of Hell. So we're moving now into Revelation chapter 13. Remember the conflict that took place in heaven. It was depicted there for us in chapter 12. And it ended with Satan's defeat. Remember Michael and his angels triumphing over the devil and his angels. And Satan and his angels was cast out of heaven into the earth. Remember, let's quickly go back to Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9 where that event was actually depicted for us. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 9. So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old, of old, called the devil, and Satan, who deceives the whole world. And he was cast out to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, here in Revelation chapter 13, we have the detailed description of his all-out effort in the earth prior to Christ's second coming and is being cast into the bottomless pit. It's sort of like, you know, seeing how that he's been cast out from heaven and now is upon the earth. He's going to take it up a, a notch. But let me, let me once again say, on Satan's part, it's his all-out effort in the earth prior to Christ's second coming and is being cast into the bottomless pit for a period of thousand years, the millennial uh, kingdom. 
which, by the way, is described for us in chapter 20 in verse 3. Now, before we go on here, I, I just, you know, as I was sitting having a cup of coffee uh, this morning, God reminded me of this. Aren't we glad that we know how this whole thing plays out, right? You know, these are fearful times that we're reading about here in the book of Revelation. But I want to once again remind you that if you're a member in good standing of God's church, you're not going to be here during this time. You're going to be in heaven. You're going to be standing before the throne, worshiping our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So once again, aren't you glad we know how this whole thing plays out? The devil is taken, thrown into the bottomless pit, and he's there incarcerated for a period of a thousand years during the millennial reign of Christ when he comes back to establish his kingdom upon the face of the earth. And then we are told, and we'll get into this in one of our future studies, he's loosened for a short period of time and uh, to go and to deceive the people who have repopulated the, the earth during that thousand year period of time. But then finally, him, the Antichrist, and the false prophet are cast into the lake of fire. So once again, you know, I, I love the book of Revelation because think about it, it's the last book of the Bible, uh, with, uh, recorded for us the last chapter in the Bible, so we know how this whole thing uh, works out. Well, anyway, it's his last drive, his last uh, ditch effort, if you will, to defeat the program of God and establish his own kingdom. Now, we know the devil is a spirit being and that he cannot operate effectively upon the earth except as he does through the passions and personalities of men. Now, folks, think about that for a moment. This is a pretty scary prospect. I mean, the idea that a person can actually be mastered by the devil without even realizing or knowing it. You say, what am I talking about? Well, let me give you a cross-reference for this that validates what I've just said. In 2 Timothy, in chapter 2, in verse 26, as Paul the Apostle is instructing young Timothy, who has now become the uh, pastor, the first pastor of the church at Ephesus, and he's, and he's encouraging uh, Timothy to be faithful in the preaching of the gospel, to protect those people that he's ministering to from the attacks and the assaults of the, of the devil. And notice, he says there in 2 Timothy, in chapter 2, in verse 26, and that they may come to their senses, and escape the snare of the devil, notice now, having been taken captive by him to do his will. Listen, there are tons of people walking the face of the earth who have been taken captive by the devil, and they're not even aware of it. Think about that. That is a pretty scary prospect. You know, I think many of the crimes that men perpetrate against other men is satanically energized. You know, some of the things that are playing out on, our, our, on the news right now that we see regularly, uh, you know, some of the things that are going on, the attacks on the police, for example, uh, the attacks of, uh, you know, people destroying other people's properties, and, uh, you know, some of the crimes that we perpetrate, uh, that men perpetrate on other people. I believe that all of those things well, not all of those things, but at least some of those things are energized by the devil himself. And so he embodies himself in men and women in order to get what he wants. Now here, 
In our text, in chapter 13, he knows his time is short. Thus, he comes in rage and fury to do as much damage as he possibly uh, can, while he can. Okay, so with that said, that sets the platform for this morning's study. And it also brings us to our first point. And if you're taking notes, please write this down. And that is the unholy trinity. The unholy trinity. Now, here in this chapter, the devil enlists two individuals, one of which we've already been introduced to, referred to as the beasts. And folks, don't be confused about this. He's not referring to animals here. They are called beasts because of the cruelty of their reign. And these two, along with Satan, make up what I would like to refer to as the trinity of hell. Who am I talking about? The Antichrist, the false prophet, and the devil himself. The trinity of hell. The Antichrist, the false prophet, who we're going to be introduced to for the first time in our series here in the book of Revelation in just a moment, and the devil. Now, we've already talked about this, but at this time, demonism is at its height throughout the world and will produce a reign of terror throughout the earth. Let me give you a cross-reference for this. In 2 Thessalonians, in chapter 2, the coming of the lawless one, and the lawless one is whom? The Antichrist. Is according to the working of Satan, right? He's, he's uh, satanically uh, charged. The devil charges, satanically energizes and charges uh, the Antichrist with all power, signs, and lying wonders. Verse 10. And with all unrighteous deception among those who perish. Now, that's not Christians, okay? Because they did not receive the love of the truth. What's the love of the truth? The love of the truth is Jesus. That they might be uh, saved. And then in verse 11. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie. So they choose not to receive Christ as their Lord and Savior, so they come under this cloud of great delusion. Okay? And so this chapter records the activities of this unholy trinity. Okay, so with that said, let's go ahead and get into our text this morning. Let's begin reading verses 1 and 2. Chapter 13. And I stood, who's I? John, the recorder of the book of Revelation. Then I stood on the sand of the sea, and I saw a beast, right, there's that word, rising up out of the sea, having seven heads and ten horns, and on his horns ten crowns, and on his heads a blasphemous name. Now the beast which I saw was like a leopard. His feet were like the feet of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. The dragon, who is Satan, we've already established that, gave him his power, his throne, and great authority." Okay, so first of all, I want you to notice this phrase here, the sand of the sea. Now, what does that refer to? Well, I believe that it refers to Satan's position as the acerber of the earth, which, by the way, is only temporary. Remember, that which was lost through sin in the Garden of Eden 
through Adam and Eve's disobedience. Remember, we talked about that. And presently, he holds the title deed to earth. But that's only temporarily. Remember, that's what this whole book of Revelation is all about. Jesus coming back to claim what is rightfully uh, his, right? And uh, so he is just a observer of the earth, temporarily, and of his power over its people. The sand here, the mention of the sand, pictures the many people who make up the nations, that is, the population of the world, worldwide. And in many different places throughout the scriptures, uh, the population of the earth, the people that are upon the face of the earth, are referred to as great a number as the sand of the sea. You're familiar with that phrase, right? And so that's what we're talking about here. Okay, so the devil, therefore, sees the sea of the nations in their restlessness and political frustration. Let me say that again. The devil sees the sea of the nations, all of its population, in their restlessness and political frustration. Now let me ask you this question. Does that sound familiar to any of you presently, right now? Again, in their restlessness and political frustration? Oh, come on. If this doesn't accurately portray what's going on worldwide, not only here in the United States, but worldwide, think about that, right? And listen, folks, the idea that I'm trying to convey to you is that time is short. And the stage is set for all of these things coming to fruition. Praise God for Jesus to come back and rescue us from all of this craziness that's going on. And so anyway, the devil stands upon the earth and he's about to proceed in his final struggle for supremacy. Now this first beast, let's go back to verse 1, is the Antichrist, clearly stated in verse 18. So let's jump ahead to the last verse of chapter 13, and let's read it. He says, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, or the Antichrist, for it is the number of man, and his number is 666. Okay, so what do we take away from uh, this? Well, we know that, according to biblical numerology, that the number six is the number of man. And so therefore, we know that the Antichrist is literally a man. And whether or not this man actually is alive and walking on our planet today, we're not quite sure. More than likely, when you consider the times in which we live, he probably is. I don't even know if he realizes that he's going to be used by the devil as the Antichrist. But nevertheless, the point that I'm trying to make is that he is a man flesh and blood. But I want you to notice that two times here in the book of Revelation, we are told he comes out of the abyss. In chapter 11, in verse 7, was the first uh, mention of this. And then once again, in one of our future studies, we'll get to that and we'll, we'll talk some more about this, in chapter 17, in verse 8. Which then means he is in league with the devil. He is energized by him. But then let's consider some of the other descriptions that are provided for us concerning the Antichrist. Notice the seven heads. Now also in biblical numerology, the number seven indicates completeness. 
And so as it relates to his seven heads, I believe that that speaks of his wisdom, his head. He possesses great wisdom. But then let's go on in this description. Notice the ten uh, horns, which we've already talked about this. I believe that the final world government will consist of ten nations who come into league with this Antichrist. And they join him. In fact, remember last time as a cross-reference for this? Uh, you know, quickly, in fact, let's go back and revisit that. In chapter 17, in verse uh, 12, it tells us there the ten horns which you saw are ten kings who have received no kingdom as yet, but they will receive authority for one hour as kings with the beast or the Antichrist. So I believe that these ten horns represent confederated power. And then also notice in the further description provided for us there, the crowns. And I believe that those crowns represent his ruling authority. Okay, so put that description all together. The restless world will be desperate for a leader. And it, I mean, come on, think about that. Isn't the world today desperate for a leader? And uh, man, we're looking for someone, right? Who can draw all of these different factions, particularly here in the United States of America, with all of the different factions, with all of the chaos, with all of the confusion, with all of the anarchy that's going on, you know, across our nation right now. We're looking for a leader. And uh, I've got to tell you something, I don't think we have a lot, an awful lot to pick from, do we? But that's the way that this, this person, the Antichrist, is going to rise uh, to power. Because the multitudes will see in him the possibility of bringing all of these factions of, of different people uh, together. And so the restless world will be desperate for a leader. And this man, the Antichrist, will represent the unregenerated mass of humanity what will appear to be the solution to the world's problems. But listen, all of his genius, all of his wisdom, all of his abilities only combine to blaspheme the name of God. Because notice what it says there in verse 1. Also, as a further description, and on his head was a blasphemous name. So all of that only combines to him blaspheming the name of God. Now, these descriptions in verse 2, let's go on. The different animals, this is interesting. And the description of these animals actually take us back to the book of Daniel in chapter 7. And there in the book of Daniel in chapter 7, we are told that Daniel dreamed a dream. And in that dream, he had a, re a vision that was given to him by God. And this vision had to do with succeeding world empires. Now, during which time that Daniel dreamt this dream and received this vision, the world kingdom that existed at that time was the kingdom of Babylon. And who was the king at that time? It was Nebuchadnezzar. So anyway, the description of these different animals represent these world kingdoms, succeeding world kingdoms, beginning uh, with the kingdom of Babylon. In other words, the Antichrist will possess the abilities and characteristics of the leaders of these three past world empires. In other words, he's going to be as ferocious as the lion 
and the lion is used to depict the nation of Babylon. And as I've already mentioned, Nebuchadnezzar was its king. And overpowering as the bear, which represents the next world kingdom, preceding Babylon, which would have been what? The Media Persian Empire, which had two kings during its reign. Who were those two kings? Darius, and then the next succeeding king was King Cyrus. But then the third animal that's being pictured here was the leopard. That is, as swift as the leopard. And what was the next uh, kingdom in that order? It was the kingdom of Greece, right? And history plays this out to be true. This, I'm just not appealing to the biblical record. You know, his, history tells us to be true. And who was the uh, leader of the Grecian Empire? It was Alexander. And I find it really interesting, particularly with uh, the identity and the, uh, uh, the, using the illustration of a leopard, you know, the idea swift as a leopard, Alexander the Great was its king. And I don't know if you knew anything, if you remember probably in world history, either in high school or if you studied uh, world history in college, if you know anything about Alexander the Great, think about this. Alexander the Great conquered the known world at that time when he was 25 years old. Can you imagine that? Uh, you know, many 25-year-olds are living in their mother's and father's basements. You know, but Alexander, and, I'm not, and you know, if that happens to be you, I, that's not a, you know, uh, uh, you know I'm, I'm not trying to be derogatory, but, you know, in comparison, think about this this. 25-year-old's accomplishment at the age of 25 years old. You know, he conquered uh, the world, you know, at that particular time, the known world at that particular uh, time. So anyway, with that said, that now brings us to our second point this morning, and that is the great imposter. Okay, let's go back to our text now in verse 3. And I saw one of his heads... Now, again, he's referring to the Antichrist here. And I saw one of his heads, John saw one of his heads, as if it had been mortally wounded, and his deadly wound was healed. And all the world marveled and followed the beast. Okay, now, three times in this one chapter, the wound of the Antichrist is mentioned. Notice in verse 3, the verse that we just read. Then again in verse 12, and then lastly, in verse 14. Now, there are two interpretations here as it relates to uh, this wound. If the heads represent empires, then we're talking about the political death of an empire, and it's coming back into life. In my father's house, there's a place for me. In my father's house, where I long to be, oh my heart. We're so glad you joined us today on In My Father's House for our continuing verse-by-verse study through the book of Revelation. If you'd like to hear more messages from Pastor Mike, please visit our website at harvestnyc.org. 
You can listen online at oneplace.com by searching for Harvest Christian Fellowship or Pastor Mike Venizio. Viewing our recent services can be an option as well through Vimeo. We also invite you to subscribe to our podcast. Just search your favorite platform for In My Father's House with Mike Venizio. If you're in Midtown Manhattan and looking for a church home, come visit us here at Harvest Christian Fellowship. We meet every week for worship, Bible study, and fellowship. It's easy to get here. You can reserve your seat and get directions at our website. If you can't make it in person, that's okay. Join us on the live stream to participate in our services virtually. Just follow the link at harvestnyc.org. If you have any questions for us, just give us a call at 212-247-1877. We'd be honored to pray for you too, so feel free to let us know how we can do that for you. That number again is 212-247-1877. Would you like to connect with us on social media? You can find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just follow the links at harvestnyc.org. We're so glad you took the time to listen in today, and we hope you'll join us again next time on In My Father's House. There's a place for